Hey, I'm Natasha Crane. And I'm Elisa Childers. Welcome to Unshaken Faith, where we equip you to live your Christian faith boldly in a chaotic culture. Russell Moore, who's the editor-in-chief of Christianity Today, David French and Curtis Chang are coming out with a small group curriculum for churches called The After Party. In anticipation of the presidential election cycle next year, they say they want to counter the quote-unquote dangerous trend of evangelicals having their political identity formed by partisan forces, not by true biblical faith. Now, this curriculum is not out yet, so we're not reviewing its content in our show today, but we do want to look at the very common idea promoted by popular Christian pastors, authors, and other leaders that the church somehow needs to rise above partisanship. Russell Moore says that this after-party curriculum, for example, was originally going to be titled the Post-Partisan Church. But should that be the goal? Should the church be post-partisan? We'll dive into that in just a minute, but let's first hit some announcements and our tips of the week. Well, we're so excited to be coming to Chino Hills, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, with our Unshaken Conference on May 6th. Again, if you're anywhere in the Southern California area, we would love to see you come out for that. You can go to unshakenconference.com to register for that, to get your tickets. Also, tickets for Tucson and Nashville are going to go on sale uh, next month in April. So we'll be in Tucson on September 23rd and in Nashville on November 4th. So we are just so excited to be joining with our friend Frank Turk to bring you the Unshaken Conference. So my tip of the week is just to learn one new thing every day. I think in this kind of chaotic culture, Christians feel really overwhelmed with all of the different topics and all of the different issues that we need to all of a sudden become experts on, it seems. And so back when I first started studying apologetics, I felt so overwhelmed. I felt like I had just, you know, maybe draw, put taken a dip out of a bucket only to discover a whole ocean of other questions that was just in that one bucket. And then there's 10 other buckets with their own oceans. And it was just so overwhelming. But I started to think, well, if I just can commit one thing to memory every day, whether it's a script scripture verse, or maybe a fact, or maybe learn a new logical fallacy, or one apologetic fact every single day, those things start to add up, and you will be amazed how often the Lord will use that in your life with somebody who might have the same question. I can't tell you how many times I learned a little something, and then within two weeks, somebody would say, hey, what about that? And well, I had already studied that one little thing and committed it to my memory so we could have that kind of conversation. So don't feel overwhelmed. Just learn one little thing every day. And the Lord will use that in your life. That's a great suggestion. It's really easy to get overwhelmed. I agree, especially with every new thing that seems to be coming out culturally. And we have to Mm. kind of go down the rabbit hole of figuring out, well, what does that mean? Where does that come from? What's the source of all this? So I love that. Don't be overwhelmed. Just learn something. Well, my tip today is in response to a listener of this podcast, actually, who commented on our last episode in which we talked about the fact that God can't do anything that's logically impossible. She said on my Facebook page that God can and does do things that are logically impossible by human standards, and that when the Bible contradicts logic, we can take God's word at face value and trust that His ways are higher than our ways. So my tip is a bit of a response to that, and it involves understanding that there's a distinction between the miraculous and the illogical. 
So the miraculous does not defy logic. In fact, when we say that, we actually play into what atheists want us to believe. The miraculous is perfectly logical given that God exists. Miracles are extraordinary events with a supernatural cause. So if the supernatural exists, as Christians believe, it's perfectly within reason or logical that miracles happen. God doesn't have to set aside logic. He simply intervenes in or works through natural laws. He can do things that we can't, but that's because his nature is different than ours, not because he's doing what is logically impossible. That's such a great tip, and it makes me think of the Trinity, too, because people always say the Trinity is illogical because they'll they'll frame it incorrectly by saying it's three beings, you know, three beings and one being. But that's actually not what the Trinity is. It's one being, three persons. And it would only be illogical if we were crossing categories like that. That's a good tip. All right. Well, should the church be post-partisan? Well, we should probably start by defining what we mean with the word partisan. So the dictionary defines partisan as a strong adherence to a political party. Post-partisan then is a term used to emphasize compromise over political ideology. And that might sound appealing at first, but there's actually a lot to consider. So here's what the After Party Curriculum website says about what they perceive as the problem. Quote, Evangelicals, which constitute 22.5% of the American population, comprise a key group in the political landscape. Unfortunately for many evangelicals, the role of forming their political identity has been seized by partisan forces, not by true biblical faith. As a result, their politics have become deformed into hatred of political opponents, susceptibility to lies, and other practices that threaten the common good. Church leaders seeking to counter this dangerous trend need help. If pastors preach about politics from the pulpit, they risk blowback from the most vocal and extreme voices within their congregations. The after party does the heavy lifting to support local leaders. By presenting national trusted evangelical voices, local leaders do not have to take all the fire by themselves. They only need to sponsor this curriculum into their small group communities and let us make the case case, end quote. Okay, there's a lot in there because especially if you if you see where the authors of the curriculum are kind of coming from, you can see just kind of what they're, who they're talking about in here. But so there's a, we agree that identity must be found in Jesus first. And there, and, and again, we would acknowledge that there are some today who might put their political identity ahead of their Christian identity, but no Christian who actually knows and believes and obeys their Bible would think of themselves first as a Republican or a Democrat and then as a Christ follower, second. This is often used as a straw man to criticize Christians who hold firmly uh, to political and especially conservative views. Now, interestingly, there was some sociological research released last year on this by a sociologist named George Yancey who compared the views of conservative Christians and progressive Christians, and he actually found, discovered, that it's actually the progressive Christians that start with their political identities and you know, or their political views and then derive their theological views out of that. Whereas with conservatives, it was the other way around. They started with their theological re- views and then their theology, I mean, their politics flew out, flowed out of that. In other words, a conservative 
Christian who's Bible-believing is not going to continue to support a candidate who would come out and say, hey, by the way, now I've changed my mind. I'm for, uh, you know, I'm, I'm pro-choice. And the, he would lose the conservatives because conservatives put their theological uh, views first. And so... Um, Another thing that that was kind of interesting about the way this is framed, and I was sharing this with you, Natasha, before we went on the air, but about a year ago, I was invited to be a part of what was called a good faith debate about wokeness and biblical justice. And when I got the email about participating, the debate was framed uh, something like if you're on, you know, they were like, okay, on one side, we have Christians who think that their Christianity should inform how active they are in racial issues and climate change and gender, gender inequality quality and poverty. And then they said on the other side, we have Christians who think that's just wokeness and we shouldn't really focus on those things. And I just thought that is the strangest email. I of course, I, de- <laughs> I declined the debate because I don't really do debates anyway. That's a different skill set. But I, I did write back and I said, listen, the I can't even agree with your premise here. Uh, I mean, I don't know any Christians who believe in the Bible and are living for Jesus with all they have that think things like, racial uh, issues and um, poverty don't matter or that our Christian worldview wouldn't inform how we go about those things. Everybody cares about those things, but the two different sides might disagree on what the correct solutions are on those things. And so I don't know if they ended up, you know, whoever ended up doing that debate, if they changed the premise or not, but I just told them, I'm like, this, I can't even get on board with your premise here. That's a really good example because things are very often framed that way, that it looks at one side and says, well, you know, these are the people who care so much more about these things. But that's really a straw man because everyone cares about their position. It's not a matter of how much we care that determines whether or not something is the right position to hold. But it's often framed that way. So that's a really good example. And I think it, it bears mentioning that, you know, David French and Russell Moore have been very open politically about their opposition to Donald Trump as a president. And so they aren't just focusing on sort of the the way of engagement. They are actually taking political sides very much and very regularly in mainstream media and in newsletters. I subscribe to Russell Moore's newsletter and kind of follow along what he's doing. So both of them are very political. I'm also curious what they mean when they say uh, susceptibility to lies and practices that threaten the common good. I think oh, I can yeah. read between the lines on what's going on there, but since I haven't actually seen it, I, I'm I'm not going to comment further about that. But it is interesting that they would suggest that one group is maybe more susceptible to lies. Well, mm-hmm. here's the, the next part of the about page for the curriculum. Quote, the curriculum does the complex but absolutely necessary theological work of reframing Christian political identity from today's divisive partisan options. Whereas the partisan identity defines political engagement engagement in the what of ideologies, policies, parties, and politicians, the after party redefines Christian politics around a biblical emphasis on the how of virtues like mercy, humility, and justice. In today's political environment, faithfulness to this biblical how of political engagement will shine as a radical alternative to both the right and the left, end quote. 
Well, this description is going to sound good to a lot of people. So a lot of people are going to say, yes, I'm so tired of the arguing. We've got to learn how to engage better. I think this is a curriculum that's going to help with that. That's what people are going to say. And I actually have no idea if the curriculum will help with that in particular because we don't have, again, the content to review. But I think there's a big problem just in how it's being presented here. It's great to remind people that we should be merciful, humble, and just in our engagements. But it's really naive to think that this is an alternative to what they call the right and the left. Right and left are different positions on issues. The so-called how of engagement is not an alternative to the position itself. It's just your approach to engaging with others on a position. So just to use an example, mercy, humility, and justice are not an alternative to a pro-choice or pro-life position. They just describe how to discuss whatever position or whatever uh, position that you do have with those who disagree. So this to me is a huge cop-out, and it's a sad one. It's a way of getting Christians to think that our end goal is how we engage rather than doing the tougher and the more controversial work of teaching Christians how to think biblically about how our worldview should inform our actual positions on specific political issues. You know, the Bible teaches that God ordains government to promote justice and restrain evil, So we better be prepared to identify what is just and what is evil and not merely how to be nice while having those discussions. Yeah. And you mentioned Trump and he's just been such a, 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 what do you call it? Like a stick of dynamite in this conversation. Cause I actually used to follow Russell Moore way back when he was beginning with his anti-Trump stuff and Trump had actually attacked him on Twitter and he, uh, Russell Moore went on CNN and they asked him about it. And he actually used that as an opportunity to preach the gospel. And I thought that's so cool. And you know, there's a lot of the, the things that people might criticize Trump over that I would agree with. But what I don't like is that now you have to be, a totally 100% opposed to everything about Trump, every policy, every everything he would possibly represent or do to be virtuous. And that's when we get into soft totalitarianism. When, when you don't feel like you can actually say, well, actually, I think Trump got this policy right. Don't really like his character, but I, you know, I appreciate that he did this and that. Um, you're not virtuous in the, in the eyes of, of people. And I think that's kind of where this is all heading. Um, but, you know, there have been plenty of times in history that Christians have played a vital role in the realm of politics where the con- you know the content of our positions mattered and not just the manner in which we engaged for example just think about slavery no one looks back today and is concerned that christians were too quote unquote partisan at that time right we assume there was a correct biblical view on that issue and that christians who were pro slavery were wrong that they were violating uh, the bible and so i think that when we say you know, we can agree to disagree on some topics. That's actually immoral. And I think, honestly, Natasha, this is why so many conservative Christians are so vocal and so opposed to abortion, because we're talking about the actual extinguishing of of innocent life. These are um, human beings who do not have a voice, and they are being killed every single day. And so um, this isn't something that we could, uh, you know, as a Bible-believing Christian say, well, yeah, maybe that's not so bad. We'll focus on something else. I mean, I I have great sympathy for Christians who are like, this is my issue because this is the active injustice where people are literally being, it's like a genocide every single day. And so to say, well, you know, we'll just agree to disagree about that so that we can look at something else um, can actually bottom out in, in immorality. 
Absolutely. I think Dr. Wayne Grudem has a book called Politics According to the Bible, and he gives kind of a whole list of ways that Christians have been involved politically throughout history in working to get rid of these immoral acts. And so I, here's just a, a partial list of what he he gives as an example. He says, outlawing infanticide and child abandonment and abortion in the Roman Empire, outlawing the gladiator battles in Rome, outlawing branding the faces of prisoners, instituting humane prison reforms, stopping human sacrifice, outlawing pedophilia, granting property rights and other protections to women, banning polygamy, prohibiting the burning alive of widows in India, outlawing the crippling practice of binding women's feet in China, and advancing the idea of compulsory education for children in Europe. So those are just a few examples throughout history of how Christians have been involved politically for some really important issues of morality. And I think some people might think when they hear the slavery issue or the ones that I just read off that, well, that's different because those are individual issues and they're not examples of siding with an entire party like we're talking about today. But hear me out here. The logic is the same. Whether we're talking about one issue or a bundle of issues, a platform, as we call it today, there are big issues of biblical clarity that delineate platforms like abortion, gender identity, sexuality, public education, parental rights, and religious freedom. If you bundle just those major issues together of biblical clarity and one party platform better aligns with a biblical view of reality more than the other, we Mm. shouldn't think that's inherently a problem and strive to convince everyone we should be less partisan. It's just a logical outworking of Christians voting consistently according to our worldview. So I think a curriculum that would really help the church would be one that, yes, ensures people understand their identity is in Jesus, but then it goes on to help them see how that identity should drive their desire to vote for the common good in alignment with a biblical worldview. In other words, let's stop teaching Christians that it's a problem if we vote in one direction and start teaching Christians how to think biblically about what it means to be active in the public square. We're out of time in this podcast, and there are so many objections that we know exist to some of the things that we're talking about today. So for those of you who are interested in thinking more about this, I'd refer you to my podcast, the Natasha Crane Podcast. I have an episode, it's number 17, called Why Christians Must Care About Politics. I did this last year, and really it's a breakdown of the problematic ideas in Pastor Andy Stanley's best-selling book called Not In It to Win It, Why Choosing Sides, Sidelines, the church. And really, that book is a whole treatise on the ideas that we're talking about today. And so I go deeper into that in that. And I would refer you over there if you're interested in thinking more about this. Yeah, well, thanks for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe to Natasha's podcast, the Natasha Crane podcast, and my podcast, the Elisa Childers podcast, if you like longer episodes where we can get a little deeper into the weeds on some of these things. Also, just continue to rate and review this podcast wherever you hear it. It helps us out so much. And for now, let's remember that as Christians, we have a firm foundation to stand on that, as Psalm 62 puts it, is our rock and salvation, our fortress, where we will never be shaken. 